There is only one thing on this earth more powerful than evil, and that's us. Hi, I'm Nicholas Brendan, and you're listening to the Buffy Back Issue Ben. Welcome back, everyone, to the Buffy Back Issue Ben. I'm Zach. And I'm Emily. And we're here for episode five. Is it really? Yes. Good for us. I think. Yeah, five. Let's call it five. Sounds good. So what we're doing today is we're going to be combining two different books into one show. So today we read Tales of the Slayer and Tales of the Vampires. Let's read together. What are we reading? I don't know. I okay. like reading Rainbow theme stuck in my head. I don't even know that. That's surprising. Something, I know the something, theme. it's in a book. Something, something, take a look. It's reading Rainbow. Uh, the Wishbone theme is better. Whatever, man. Let's just start with that. Uh, so what these two books are is these are uh, two graphic novels and they tell small vignette stories. Yeah, so these vignettes span the centuries, basically, of the different slayers and vampires. Some are pre-Buffy and Angel, some are during Buffy and Angel, some are post-Buffy and Angel. What we're going to do here is some of these stories are only telling these one-off tales of characters we're never going to meet again. And they're, for the most part, interesting and good, but for the sake of a podcast, it's not really going to work if we're just telling these short vignette stories and then moving on to another one. Like, well, that was a fun six pages. What's next? So instead, we're going to focus on the ones that have to do with Buffy, Sunnydale, Angel, Spike, kind of the whole world that we've been playing with already. Basically, I think that's already been established as a character we'll cover here. But in general, I do recommend picking these books up. They're overall very good. Yeah, they're really fun. But we might as well kick it off. We're starting off with Tales of the Slayer with a story called Prologue. How appropriate. Because it really is the prologue to this whole world. And it's about the first Slayer. Whom we've seen a couple times in the Buffy universe. And we get to see a little bit more about her. This is the earliest we really get to see her. So this is relatively soon after she's the first Slayer has been called. She does her thing, kills the vampire, and a woman walks up to her with a gift basket. Yeah, and the gift basket is basically like, thanks for saving us, now please leave because you're weird. There's some Cracker Barrel, there's some Barefoot Wine. Overall, it's a pretty cheap basket. It's like one of those things you have to be grateful for, but really it's just kind of a big middle finger. Do you really know what Barefoot Wine is? It's crap. Not that bad. It's better than Two Buck Chuck. Yes, it's like... Bottom rung grocery store, cheap like college. It's not bottom rung. It's like middle shelf. It's like sorority girl wine. Okay, I believe that. So but this one from the town comes up, says, "Hey, go away." Basically, um, she said that the town fears her, and that they really just basically don't want her to be there. That she's too weird, and she they believe that she brings the demons, as well as being able to fight them. She kind of collects them not collects them that's not the right word she attracts them. attracts them is a better word and what she ends up saying is that the reason that these shamans that created the slayer only created one is because that she would also create fear and she lets the first slayer know that once she dies another will be called and there will only ever be one of you at a time but what the first slayer really takes away from this is that there will be others that she is not the only one that will ever be called and then we move right into a bunch of other slayers a bunch of other slayers. The next one that we're going to talk about is called The Glittering World. And it's all in sepia tone, which is kind of funny. Reminds me of that Mariah Carey movie, Glitter. I never saw that movie. Did you ever see that movie? We don't need to talk about what I saw. You definitely saw a Mariah Carey movie called Glitter. No, I, def- I never saw it. 
I don't know if we all believe you. I saw that Britney Spears one. Did you really crossroads? Well, she jumped around in her underwear for like five seconds, so that made it worthwhile. Did it really? It was middle school. That's sad. I never saw it. It was worth the time. That's sad. Middle school is a rough time. Moving on. Uh, we're going to talk about the glittering world. The glittering world is all about these two twins who are sent into the world, according to the Navajo. Yeah, what we're dealing with, we're going just, this is a straight Western story. Yeah, exactly. Hence about, the sepia tone. It's about a dead town where all the life has been like sucked out of. It's a terrible desert and there are no humans left. And instead, it's full of dark spirits, beasts, and demons. Basically, there's just some vampires that killed everyone. So there are these twins that get to the town, and one of them is brought to prepare the earth and to make it fertile, and the other one is called Monster Slayer. Which is a more metal name for a vampire slayer. It's way cooler, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there'd be a thrash metal band called Monster Slayer. There's yeah. regular Slayer, but this is Monster Slayer, like a more intense Slayer. It actually just reminds me of a monster truck rally for some reason. Because of the word monster. Probably. And the word rally. So Monster Slayer is riding around on her super cool horse. Regular horse. I not, want a horse. Nothing special about the horse. I just would really like a horse. And she goes into the local saloon that is populated by dead people. Vampires. Yes. And she goes in and she kills a couple because what else do you do when you are the monster slayer? And she tries to find one particular vampire that is just a girl, basically. They're just like, where is she? And like, she's upstairs. So she kills every or most of the other ones. And she's looking for this Native American vampire that killed her watcher. Yes. Which is very sad. That'd be so sad. I feel like this gives some really weird context to them, though. Because, like, you killed my watcher. And the vampire just goes, like, one less white man. And the slayer is, like, gets real quippy with her. She's like, oh, yeah? Like your father? What is this weird, like, exposition backstory for these characters we'll never see again? It is a little odd because there's so many questions that are raised. Like, how do they know this much about each other? How did they ever meet before? Are they twins? I don't think so because her twin is a is meant to bring fertility to the soil. Well, they bleed on it a bit. I guess. But it seems a little weird for her just to be her triplet, I guess. So. The vampire goes on this weird whole thing. She's like, I never belonged. I was always walking in between two worlds of the Navajo and the white people. And now I'm one with the vampires and all you are is food to us. And And she's trying to make a connection to the Slayer's life. That the Slayer is never fully human nor fully demon that they also walk this strange line and they are totally isolated it gets a little unnecessarily philosophical it really does they have a quick fight vampire dies but before the vampire dies she stabs the slayer a bunch yes and slayer bleeds all over the place like climbs up on her horse and probably dies on the horse probably yeah and then i imagine the horse eats her for sustenance huh interesting but then we find out that this has all been narrated by a Spanish padre. Who's selling the land, and he's just letting the purchaser know about the dark and mysterious past. It's a cursed history. Vampires, monsters, slayers, yes, sir, a heck of a yarn. Forgive me, my son, but as you'll be building a new town on this land, I thought you should know it's a cursed history. Appreciate that, Padre. I surely do, but I'm much more interested in its future. 
Do you have any idea what you'll be calling your new town, mister? Wilkins. Richard Wilkins. Something real cheery sounding. I was thinking Happy Dale or Sunny Acres. What do you think? And that last panel reveals that it is in fact the mayor. The motherfucking mayor. That we've been talking to this whole time. Which is kind of fun. Because well, they said that he's the one who founded the town. And by the time we meet him in season three, he's, you know, Richard Wilkins the third. Because he's been saying he's his own ancestor. Exactly. And so it's been... It it just brings this whole little vignette to a whole different level. Yeah, it's just fun. Yeah, it makes it a little more fun. And it's kind of cool to see Sunnydale's history because we hear all the, all along that it's the Hellmouth, but you don't really... It seems odd that they would decide to build a town there, so I just liked it. I liked that it filled in that little gap. And I'm a big fan of the mayor. He was always one of my favorites. He was. He, he was always... He's so sugary, but so evil. I know, he just brings you a lot of joy whenever he's on the screen. I like the mayor a lot, yeah. So just seeing him pop up, because it's not like we can do much more with him being, you know, blown up inside a Dead. library. Yeah. And a giant snake. Well, some problems happened to him. So we might as well see him early on in his career. Anything else about this one? Nope. All right. That one was unnecessarily weird, but I liked the ending. I liked it, though. It was a It was a nice little gap that it filled in in the history. Our next story is called Nikki Goes Down. We're going to the 70s. We are in the 70s. And we're talking about Nikki Wood, who is a slayer whom Spike ends up killing. Yep, a few years down the road, she'll end up killing. Um, I guess probably, there's no indication that she has a kid yet, so this might be the 60s. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Either way, before Robin is born and before Spike kills her. Yep, and so... We just see a little slice of her life, basically. Yeah, she's sleeping with some guy named Lee. Uh, she has Who is a, a cop. She has a picture of Malcolm X over her bed. Because why not? So Lee is a cop, and he goes out on patrol, and she follows along on the rooftops, basically, to watch over him. Yeah, they're going to be busting. There's going to be a raid. I don't know cop talk. I don't like movie cop talk. Not real they're cop talk. They're going to be busting, and they just stop. I don't know, man. They didn't even try. They're, they're raiding something, or they're breaking up a raid, or... They're going to a rave. Something. One of those things are happening. Definitely not the last one. Definitely not the last one. They have glow sticks. They're popping Molly. So she follows them on their raid. And that's what we're going to call it. That's what it is. And it turns out someone's smuggling vampires. His name is Le Bon, which means the bank of the river. But that's really his name. Yep. Fun fact. He ends up on a river later. He does end up in a river later. But Good for him. These are like super duper vampires? Yeah, and they've been smuggled in this wooden box, and so they just kind of explode out upon the unsuspecting policeman. Nikki jumps down in her heels, which just seems painful and confusing. Well, then she gets knocked out, so maybe she should have been wearing better footwear. Maybe she should have been. That's a fun thing to note. And then Lee dies. Lee dies, and she's minorly upset. We knew him so well. But... No, we don't care. She doesn't... I don't know. She wakes up, the cops blame her for the death, she runs away, and then she begins her own investigation of who's behind this vampire shipment at the docks that killed that guy I was sleeping with and didn't really care about. Yeah, so she finds the party that they're all having to celebrate their vampire smuggling. LeBlanc? LeBlanc. Matt LeBlanc? No. Blanc means white. I'd rather think that Joey's doing this. That it's like evil Joey. LeBlanc would be the bank. Blanc means white. Yeah. Okay. You're saying two things. I'm hearing the same. Okay. In any case. They have a super evil vampire that's just a big bat. Yeah. So 
Nikki rides the bat because what else well, she, do you do? She in a busts giant in, bat? and the bat like bursts out the window, and she rides it down. And she controls it using the string of pearls that were around her neck, which is very resourceful. I liked her for that. Yeah, and she ends up flying the bat down into the subway, and jumps out of the way of an oncoming car just in time. Successfully killing the bat and saving herself somehow. Good on her. And so she goes and she keeps going back. And she goes to kill Joey. And she doesn't kill Joey. She kills the vampire smuggler. That's the basically end. it. This is see... not my favorite. No, this didn't really add anything. It's like, yeah, Nikki killed vampires. Right. It was cool how she killed him, but as I didn't care about Lee... Like, we didn't even see him for long enough. We saw him for a page and a half or something. I I just didn't care about him. And That didn't make me care about... It's not like we saw a lot of Nikki in the show either, so I didn't like... I would have loved to see Nikki with Robin or yeah, something I didn't gain any appreciation lines. for the character with this story. Yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't contradict anything. It didn't take away anything. It just didn't add anything. Not like the Sunnydale one or the prologue one. I... Those two were very cool. They added another dimension to stories that we already had going on. The Nikki part, it was just like, and she was a slayer, which means she killed things. And then we move on to the best one of this first graphic novel, Tales. Yeah, this one was really cool. I really liked it. It was short. You might remember the certain lady, Malaka. Frey. We're back to Frey. Malaka Frey. Probably Malaka. Probably Malaka. Not really a name, though. It's not really a name. But But we're back with Frey. And I like Frey a lot. And this is a sequel to what we saw before. Yeah. She has the scythe, but she's still not a ver- super proficient with it. Exactly. And she gets sent on another job by Gunther. We find out that she's still um, working her day job. It's not called a job. It's a called grab. a grab. Sorry. Gunther sends her on a grab. Oh, sorry. But she does call it her day job. Let's, so. you know, let's use the proper language. So she gets sent on another grab for Gunther. While she's in Hayden. While she's in Manhattan. Hayden. Haddon? That's not, probably Haddon. I don't know. Because it's like Manhattan to Haddon, I guess. Oh. The etymology kind of goes down. Interesting. It gets crappier. Yes, that is how it works. Anyway. You're more on board for it now. I'm more on board for it now. So she goes on this grab that... Gunther says that she's going to like this one. Yeah, that she has to do this one. So oh, she, that she get a kick out of it. So she grabs this box and she... Decides to open the box, which I think is kind of funny. I don't think she was get, supposed to get the thing in the box. Oh, okay. And out comes Look, a we didn't monkey. See the instructions. A demon monkey. He has extra arms. He does. He's an extra set of arms and creepy green eyes. And he's purple. And he is purple. And he steals the scythe and he runs away with it. And so Frey follows him and jumps down things and... Over things. We see airships. We see flying cars. And she's following this nimble monkey. This nimble four-armed monkey. And so she runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And finally the monkey stops at this one place. And Frey looks down through the skylight. And she sees a giant version of her scythe on the ground in like tiles. I'm really curious to see if this is ever going to come back. Because this is something that's old and dilapidated. Right. And it's connected to the Slayer line. But it's not something we've ever seen in the present day. So it's something that could potentially come up again. So she jumps down to see what it is. And she finds out that she's in a Watcher's library. Or who knows, but something that at least has Slayer information. There are all these Watcher diaries. In yeah, it. some sort of Watcher, I don't know, and the, headquarters? Yeah, there's something. Something connected to the Slayer, at least something connected with the Watchers. And the monkey goes to sleep on a table, which I find adorable. And she just sits down and looks. And she reads. And she says, 
that it's all here and that all of the history that she'd been missing out of, it should have been coming down through her dreams, but those dreams were going to her brother, who's now a vampire. So she's been missing out on all of the Slayer history, on all of the Slayer connection that we've just spent this whole graphic novel learning about. And it's very cool. She really sums up the whole graphic novel in her little speech here when she says, All of their stories are laid bare before me, and I, my hands are shaking. I am the only one in the world, but I am not alone. And it's lovely. And that's how it ends. And it's really this touching note. And there's this panel that shows. Yeah, and this whole graphic novel has gone from the furthest back, the very first layer, into the future, as far as we know that the line goes. And so we have that first layer saying that she's alone, but not alone, and how she's not quite sure what to think about that. All the way through seeing Slayers throughout the generations. And it's gone chronologically. Yeah. The whole time. And then we get to Frey. And Frey is kind of summing up their whole experience. Saying that she's the only one in the past 200 years. But at the same time, she's certainly not alone. So the way we're reading this, this was originally released in two different graphic novels. And then a couple of years ago, it got released in an oversized hardcover. And, you know, to make sure people were getting their bang for their buck... In that oversized hardcover, they decided to add one more tale of the Slayer. The Broken Bottle of Gin. I like the Tales of the Slayer book. Me too. I really enjoyed it. I I liked filling in the gaps. I liked having it be tangentially connected, but not directly Buffy. This Broken Bottle of Gin. Spelled D-J-I-N-N. Is awful. It's not good. It's very, very short. We get this bo- This is like the bonus Jonas. No one wanted it, and you're making it worse. Stop everything. I love the bonus Jonas. His name is Frankie. This is the worst Jonas that no one wanted. That's not Frankie. Everybody likes Frankie. This is just bad. Call him the bonus Hanson. There was another one of those. There was another Hanson. I think so. I don't believe you. I definitely really enjoy the bonus Jonas, though. So this story, we're counting it. We're talking about it because it's here, but I do this one is not canon it cannot count because the very first words that we see are sunnydale 1997 97 huh that's what it says that would mean end of season one or beginning of season two which as we'll quickly see in the action here just doesn't work the characters have not progressed as far as this graph as as long as the story wants them to so principal snyder is moving some lockers around for some reason I guess they're adding, like, old beat-up lockers into the school and pretending they're new. Yeah. And a bottle falls out of one of them. He's like, that's mine. We own it. And it turns out that it releases a gin while this happens. And that just means, like, a, a giant demon. Like a genie. Yeah, he's like a... He's a genie. Three-story tall demon. And he's not very nice, but he really has no motivations. We don't really understand anything about him. So, Buffy... In fact, he speaks in a different language the whole time. And Buffy just shows up. And just confronts them. She's like, hey, some of us are trying to do chem lab. Which, number one, Buffy was never known for her academic prowess. And then out of nowhere, she just pulls a crossbow out. Like, she Where was, was she keeping that thing? I don't know. She's just standing there, and then she has a crossbow. I don't know. And then that one crossbow manages to fire three bolts simultaneously. It's even so... though that's not how that works. No. And then she yells to somebody off panel, Go! And it turns out that Willow is outside the school in, like, a forest that there's been a hole that's blown open in the school. There's just a lot of confusing moments that happen. And are those palm trees? I think they're supposed to be palm trees. We are in California. That's a real thing. Funny, I never saw them around the school. I can support the palm tree situation. 
so Willow opens up a portal, and... And this, there's the big issue. Yep, this gets a swift kick in the butt off to the side of not canon. Because in 1997, Willow didn't even consider becoming a witch. So the problem here is this pl- takes place in 97. Willow doesn't cast her first spell until sometime in 98. And, and she wasn't where, opening where she, portals yeah. until she was in college. This is re-sol- Her first spell is resoling Angel well over a year after this is supposed to take place. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And somehow she's using test tubes to open up a temporary portal. And the only... And Buffy just trips him into it, and then they're like, okay, he's gone. This story is worthless. If anything, it makes this book worse by having its presence be there. Because it was such a lovely, wrapped-up Tales of the Slayer. And then it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth finishing it with this. Yeah. I would even have felt better if this had been before the Frey story. If if when they'd put the new stories in order, if they would have put this before Frey. Just because then at least it would have chronologically fit in. But that's Tales of the Slayer. We're moving on to Tales of the Vampire. And this one, we're not going to cover it, but it's worth at least mentioning. This is a story being told by a vampire to a group of children who are being trained as watchers. And we'll learn by the end of the story, this is all interspliced, but that this vampire was telling this to one of Giles' ancestors, probably his um, grandmother, who was a watcher, and that his grandfather was a baker. Fun fact. But, I mean, that's just going in between it all. It's a very, you know, it's it adds something, but we're not going to cover it here. Well, yeah, we're only going to read a couple stories here. And the first one we read is called The Problem of Vampires. This is all about Spike and Drew. And I love Drew. Drew is your favorite. So I loved this story. So Spike wakes up, he's drunk, and he can taste blood and alcohol on his breath. He's like, well, that's good. He's like, wait a second. It's my blood. Less good. And he's also been staked in the chest. Yep. But luckily, a half an inch away from his heart. And thrown off a bridge. So Spike's been having a bad time. And then he realizes that Drew's missing. Yeah, and they're in Prague. Prague is fun, though. I liked Prague. But Drew is missing, too, and that's bad. And what's up with Drew is she's being tortured in this very old-timey kind of torture chair device. But this is taking place, much like that last story, in 97. Right. However, this one fits in nicely in 1997 because when Spike and Drew show up in Buffy, we see Drew, who is mysteriously injured and it's never explained they're just like a mob goner and we're not really even or at least when i watched the show the first time i never really could understand how a vampire could be injured because for that look because drew's out of it for a, right like for half that the long because they seem to heal pretty quickly everybody else we've ever met this makes so much sense though yeah it's nice having this is definitely a little prologue that happens in between seasons one and two so drew is strapped to this old-timey torture chair as screws are tightened, there are spikes in her arms and legs and back the and wrists that are driven into her body. Yeah, I mean, basically, she's sitting in this chair and she has screws going in, like, in one part of her and out another. And this is happening in about 12 different spots on her body. Like, this is brutal. Yeah, it really is. And the whole point, we even get some good motivation from our villain here, which is nice. The good, The point of this is that... He wants to leave a message for vampires to stay out of the city. But unlike with humans or most demons, there's no body to display to show that you really mean business with a vampire. And so he's trying to, that's the problem with vampires, in fact. 
And so he's trying to use Drusilla as an example for other vampires to bring her very, very close to death without actually dusting her. So Spike goes and he doesn't know where Drew is, so he just essentially kills his way to her. And it's always, because we're going to see Spike do a total 180 from here, so it's always kind of nice to see him back when he was just a jerk, a drunken evil jerk. Yeah, but it's also kind of nice because he really, really cared about Drew at the same time. And that's, we get a lot of inner monologue for both of them. And he's just tearing through Prague, trying to find his way to her. And the only reason that Drew isn't completely breaking under all this torture, she's thinking of Spike. Yeah. And knowing that he's going to come to save her. It's actually so sweet. And I like that... I hope it works out for those kids. I, I do too. And I like Drew's inner monologue, how it's... It feels very much like her voice in the show. It's very it's very crazy, but very serene, even though she's being serene brutally tortured. and disjointed, but just connected enough that you can see the bits and pieces of where her mind is going. It's done very well. I don't know. I really liked it, but I really liked Drew anyway. And so. then Spike busts in, kills the torturer, and they're together again. And he saves Drew and he carries her away. They decide that what's going to do their relationship good is to go to Sunnydale, because it's been a while since Spike's killed a Slayer. Yeah. And that's, you know, they're both going to feel good about that. Yeah, but I just... I oh, really poor like... choices they made, at least at this point in their lives. Yeah. Going to Sunnydale. But there's a couple spots where Spike and Drew's inner monologues um, go back and forth across the page. And it's very... Yeah, and this I is, this I really is one of those it. things. This is using the comics medium in a way that you can't use any other medium. Exactly. And you really get to see into Spike and Drew's minds because when they show up in Sunnydale... Drew's just weak. Drew's really and weak. And Spike's just really concerned for her. He's like, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be out of bed. Like, you need to be recovering. And there's never any context given. It's super vague. And it's really sweet to see how much they actually care for each other. At least I think so. At least for the time. I like them. And then we move on to a story called Antique. Antique. Antique is fun because antique... antique brings back Dracula. Antique is the reason this book exists. This is the best story in there. Antique is great. So this is written by Drew Goddard. He was a writer on the show. We're going to see him come back in the comics later. He also co-wrote Cabin in the Woods with Joss and directed that. For a while, he was slated to write and direct the Sinister Six movie for Spider-Man, but that's not happening anymore. Sad. And he was the showrunner on Daredevil for season one, but then he ended up leaving to go try and do that Sinister Six movie that didn't happen. Oh. Either way. Well, Daredevil is good. He has a good track record. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So. Antique. We open up with Dracula. With Dracula. And Dracula's so fun. We're in his castle. Things are good. He's so over the top. He's trying to frighten these girls that have come into his castle. He's showing off all of his weird vampire powers. He's like, I'm turning into a bat. And I'm turning into a wolf. And I'm turning into fog. And aren't you frightened of me? And they're like, no. And he's like, you are three helpless young women. And they're like, uh, we're definitely not helpless. And what it is? It's the Slayers. It's not just the Slayers. This is our first post-Buffy story. Yeah. This is not up to season eight, but this is after season seven. And it's so exciting. And for a while, put this in context of the time. When this came out, we didn't know that there was going to be a Buffy comic that went on for years and years and years. This was just this fun little small thing of there she is afterwards. They're the Slayers. Well, and you get to see that life has gone on and, and they're being successful, too. The way they phrase it, it sounds like it's been about a year after everything is wrapped up. Yeah. And they're really just there 
we find out, to get back something of Buffy's that Dracula has. Yeah, Dracula's denying that he has anything. He hypnotizes one of the Slayers because she interrupts him. Yeah, and I it's just so charming that he's like, I just have all this power over you, but because you're my guest, I'm not going to eat you this time. Buffy keeps on trying to be like, just give us our thing back. He's like, Dracula knows nothing of what you have. Like, be gone. Yes, he's so dramatic and it's lovely. And then all of a sudden out of the corner, this little door opens up and there's this little voice that goes, Master, Master, have they gone yet? Eh. And we see it. It's Xander. It's Xander. It's Xander with his eye patch. And for some reason, he's all hunched over and hobbling. But we're not worried about that. He's all dressed up like like an old school manservant. And it's just charming. So He kind of looks like a pirate. What we're going to find out later on, they don't mention it in this story, but this will be referenced again, which is definitely why this book counts as canon. Yeah. Uh, what we'll find out later on is that Xander willingly went to Dracula after Anya's death to try and cope with it. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it kind of... It kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of this once you know that, because right now it's just humorous. He looks like a weird little pirate. Yeah. And he's, his, and he's like, hypnotized, so he's super old subservient. Victorian, like, yeah. garb. And he just keeps calling him master, and he's his manservant, and he's he's just very subservient, and it's very comical. And I love Buffy... Dracula... And this, and Dracula's going to come back a few times in the books. He's very different than when we saw him in the show, but I don't care because I like this over-the-top Dracula. Oh, no, I like this Dracula. I like him better than the Dracula we saw in the show. But I love Buffy's dialogue. It's so, I mean, this is a show writer, but he knows Buffy's voice. He does. And I love it. Like, Buffy's just so demanding of, like, Xander's wife. She's like, get over here. Yes, and and she's just not going to take no for an answer from Dracula or from Xander. So there's a fight. Because, of course, there's a fight. But it's a little fight because we like Dracula and we like Buffy. So we don't actually want to see either of them get too hurt. But Dracula's going on and on about how Buffy is going to become irrelevant over time and she'll be as much of an antique as he is and how everyone will turn against her. And then just to take any tension out of it, Xander slaps her on the back of the head. Yes, exactly. He's very proud of himself. Yes, he's very proud of himself. And so, basically, Buffy's like, well, I don't really care what you have to say about you getting old, because it's going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. But what I'm really here for is Xander. So, she gets Xander back, and Dracula tries to plead for her to leave Xander there, and he says, please, he's all I have left. Well, him and my mansion and my harpies and my carriage. And and we just, it's just charming. And he's like... Actually, you know what? Things are fine. My garden and my shipping company. That one's my favorite, the shipping company. It's like, you can have him. And Xander's like, no. But then he releases him from the spell. And he's like, you know, we've had a good year together, which is a crazy amount of time that Xander's been there. Yeah, Xander's just been like under the spell. And he's like, well, whatever it happens. And I like Dracula. He's like, thank you for teaching me how to ride a motorbike, which comes back, by the way. I love that. I like that he calls it a motorbike. Yeah. And Xander and Buffy leave, and we see that Dracula turns into a sad old man. Yeah, and that's really sad. Because the whole, like, handsome, suave, debonair vampire is just an illusion. Oh, sad. It's a good story. It's I, a really I good love story. Antique. Antique, and, at the t- and again, now it's just a small little thing, but in context of the time, this was exciting. Yeah. Because, I mean, all this other stuff, you can always go back and fill in holes, especially with, like, a Slayer line that's gone on for thousands of years, or vampires that have gone on for thousands of years. 
but just seeing that little piece that goes beyond. Yeah, now we're starting in the world where you're not trying to make the comic continuity fit in with the show continuity as much because like something like this happens after the show. And so we have a little bit more leeway with what with what the comics can do. It's kind of fun. And I wish we ended here. No, but we don't. We have one story left to cover. It's called Numb. And it will leave you feeling as such. Uh, we've read something from this guy before. This was done by Brett Matthews, who had co-written Log Knight's Journey with Joss. Oh, That other yeah. Angel book we read. Yeah. And this one fares worse. Yeah. This one is all about Angel being in this literally a dead town. It looks like in Alaska. I don't know where I got that from. It's cold. It really... No, there's nothing in there that says Alaska. But he goes and I he sees... I just determined it was. Okay. Counts as canon. It's in Alaska. All right. So he goes to a diner and he asks for a drink and they give him blood and he spits it out. And that's our first sign that this is a dead town. Yep. And the woman who gave him the blood, she's like, what, mine's not good enough for you anymore? And she turns into like this corpse that has all of these cuts on her arm. So he just leaves the diner. Right. And it's important to note that these this is not dead as in a town of vampires. This is dead as in a town of dead people. So he leaves the diner, finds a little girl. Let's just... Let's just skip ahead. He talks to all these people who are dead. They're dead, and he goes into these... It's like, you forgot about killing me. You forgot me, you forgot me. So he goes to open these doors, and he runs into Jenny Callender. Exactly, and... Who you might remember from having her neck brutally snapped, and then her body laid out in such a way that Giles thought he was going to go have like this romantic evening with roses and wine, and mm, then there's just a dead body in his bed. Yeah. That was messed up. Not great. That was super harsh. What a mean thing to do. Uh, yeah, but he was also super evil. Yeah, but then Giles hit him with a flaming baseball bat, so that was fun. Well, yes. So, Angel's walking down this mysterious fog-covered hallway. Jenny's given him tickets, but said, don't open any of the doors along the way. So, obviously, Angel opens a door. Because Angel's an idiot. And sees Jenny's dead body with her neck snapped. It's really gross. It is, yeah. You can see, like, the bone protruding. Don't focus on it. And that they just are all berating him, saying that you're weak, you're weak. He runs into Angelus. Who's kind of chained against a wall, but not really. He's like breaking his chain. And that's the whole thing. That's a metaphor of Angelus is getting loose. So Angel shackles him back to the wall. And Angelus is just like, what if you're just a soul? I'm always inside you, ready to break out. Mm -hmm. What do you see when you look in a mirror? And we find out it was just a dream all along and Angel's being mopey. Also, Angel can't look in a mirror. Also, Angel doesn't have his tattoo. No, that's true. He doesn't. So he looks at the mirror and he sees nothing and flicks off a light. And what, a, the sa- end. what a sour note to end on. It's just... So the other two vampire stories that we talked about were so good. They they filled in holes and they moved beyond and they moved the story. They expanded the story. And the other vampire books this within one... this whole graphic novel are really good. But just if we're focusing on kind of pre-established characters, this one, the angel one is nothing. The angel one is just saying, Angel feels bad because he killed people. His soul causes him pain. Angel even mopes in his sleep. Literally angel. That's all we know. That's not all we know. But that is... That's 90% of him. That's that's angel. I'm sad all the time. So I didn't really need a story telling me that angel's mopey. And that he regrets killing those people because we already know that. That's the point of him having a soul. And then we spend like three panels with him looking into a mirror, but not actually seeing a reflection because he's a vampire. Where Why the, does he have a mirror? He's in the hotel. 
Oh. He didn't do a lot of renovating in the hotel. I guess not. Those rooms just had mirrors. Okay, well. But yeah, this one does nothing. No. Which is too bad, because the other ones really did. Yeah. And where this falls in continuity, any day and place, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. After Jenny dies. Anytime the hotel, when, I guess. Yeah. Anytime when Angel has a mirror. Yep. Anytime he's mopey. All the time. Yeah. So, to sum things up, um, Tales of the Slayer, Tales of the Vampire, some really, really good ones, some good ones, and some really terrible ones. There's not a lot in between. No. They're both worthy reads. They they add to the world. Yeah. I like fleshing out the world a little bit. And even the ones that we didn't cover are good. It's just, you know, these are so so short, it would be hard to make it entertaining audio. Yep. But next week, man, next week we're back, and oh, I am so excited. You but are super we, excited I know, about this one. We've gotten through doing this chronologically. I think it's the way the show had to work. And it's going to continue to have to work that way. It's going to help clear a lot of things up. But I'm so glad to be done with this part of the show. We are moving on next week. To the good stuff. Yeah, we got two more episodes that are going to take place inside of Angel, which are both good stories. And then we move beyond. But next week we're introduced to probably the most important writer outside of your usual writing staff that we haven't met yet. And next week Spike goes crazy. Always a fun time. Spike books are sometimes really fun when he's not looking for boots. But he's not this time. Life is great. But he does lose his coat. Well, whatever. You can look for a coat next time. Until then, you can find us over at editorsnotecomics.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you want to subscribe to our Patreon, episodes will be up a week early over there if you throw a buck our way. All right. Bye. Bye.